you're listening to Formby Podcast. In this episode, we're looking at the sand again. We look at sand winning. Dr. Phil Smith is our expert today. So today we're talking about sand winning. Yeah, I'm Phil Smith and I've been studying the Sefton Coast for about 50 years. What actually is the definition of sand winning? It's just the mining or extraction of sand um, for various industrial purposes. Uh, It's been widespread, of course, in many parts of Britain, but uh, not many people now remember the fact that it was a massive industry here on the Sefton coast for, oh, about three quarters of a century, starting off in about the First World War and reaching a, a peak in the 1950s and early 60s. And they would just come and shovel away the sand and then just take it away? That's right, yeah, in vast amounts. And, yeah. and obviously the Formby family were paid then for...? Well, both the, uh, the manorial estates, the Formby estate and the Well Blundell estate were involved. And I think we need to remember that uh, back in the early 20th century, they were very concerned uh, to... To really to, to maximise their financial gain from the sandhills because they, there wasn't much to be gained from agriculture. Um, they planted trees, of course, from the late, late 19th century onwards and, and that was intended to provide an income. But they had to supplement their income from other sources and um, after the First World War in particular, they began to realise that sand was a valuable resource and you could sell it. Uh, it was only about six months a tonne but <laughs> in old money, but uh, it, it provided them with a big income for a long, long time. So six pence a tonne, what mm. would that be in today's money? That's uh, 5p, isn't it? No, but what would that actually be, though? It wouldn't be five pence, would it? You don't get anything for five pence a tonne now. No. So uh, what would the the equivalent today would be maybe about ten pounds a ton or something? Yeah, maybe that something like that. Yeah. And uh, but it was enough when you take that amount that they were taking. Oh yeah, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons. Um, if you take, uh, for example, the area between Ainsdale and Birkdale, for starters, I mean, uh, for about ten years up to nineteen sixty three, uh, Southport Corporation, as it then was contracted sand winning from the the dunes at Ainsdale particularly, well, either side of Shore Road at Ainsdale, which you'll probably know. Um, And they took 800,000 tonnes out during that period. Can you imagine? I mean, that's an enormous quantity. Um, And this is being hand-shoveled out? It was initially. um, Prior to that, they used to use a, a... a, a shovel and a, a flatbed uh, but after the from about the early 50s onwards it was done mechanically using a dragline excavator and 10 ton, ten ton trucks um, so they, they could shift a hell of a lot more in that uh, period from the 1950s onwards. Mm, so that's not very good for your natterjack toes and your lizards? And well your... <laughs> we don't know of course because nobody was looking at that time um, but to some extent, it might have been beneficial, actually, because um, if you take, for example, the, the, the dunes 
uh, immediately south of what's now the Ainsdale Discovery Centre, the old Lido. Um, there are a series of enormous dune slacks. These are seasonally flooded hollows uh, that fill up with rainwater during the winter and in which natterjack toads used to breed, still do to some extent. But after the sand extraction, they would have been perfect habitats for natterjacks because they like very open sandy conditions with very little vegetation. Uh, and since then, of course, gradually they've, they've vegetated over and have become less suitable. But in the, in the early days following sand extraction, they were probably fantastic for, for natterjacks. And sand lizards, of course, like very sandy, open habitat as well. So they may have benefited as well. Was but it not course, quite invasive, though? So it was sort of clearing away eggs and... It, would have, would, it have would have been very destructive initially, obviously, in, in the areas that they were working. All the vegetation, all the animal life would have been removed. But it would have recolonised from the surrounding area that, that wasn't damaged. And sand dunes are very resilient habitats. Um, they they can uh, reconstitute themselves very quickly, so it probably didn't have as much didn't cause as much damage to the wildlife as as we might think. They I, I should say the sand was used for all sorts of commercial purposes. Uh, it was uh, used particularly down in the Midlands for casting, for casting metal. Uh, and it was also used uh, for glass making uh, to some extent as well. So it, had, it was a, a valuable commodity in many respects. Um, after the, uh, the period at uh, Shore Road, um, they went on to the beach at Amesdale and uh, between 1966 and 1973, uh, that's less than 10 years, isn't it? Um, the corporation took out 570,000 tonnes of sand from the beach at Ainsdale. Um, but after 73, they decided that that was in conflict with the recreational uses of the beach. Uh, and the whole operation was then transferred to the uh, Ribble Estuary, the Horse Bank, to the east of Southport. And uh, it continued until about 20 years ago. Um, it, 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 it stopped at that point, I think, for commercial reasons as much as anything. So the city council, the, the council, Sefton Council? Southport. Southport it, it Council was, was... It was Southport in those days. And they were benefiting financially from this? Oh, yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Southport Corporation's main aim in life, as I understand it, was to keep the rates down. <laughs> so that, that was one of the ways of doing it. Um, but of course, it also took place at Formby uh, in sand winning, in, in, again on a very large scale. Um, I was involved actually in, in 2008 in a study, in a survey that uh, reported on the, uh, the uh, history and the impacts of sand winning at Formby Point. And we were able to dig out all sorts of interesting anecdotes. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting ones that came to light was that in uh, 1939, at the beginning of the Second World War, um, Formby sand was used to fill sandbags in Liverpool. Um, and they took out about 150,000 tonnes of sand to fill sandbags. Huge number of sandbags, millions of them. 
but the landowner, for, uh, Jonathan Formby, as he was then, uh, he objected uh, to this, uh, and he actually lodged a claim for compensation in 1940. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was actually successful or not, but uh, it's amazing, isn't it? To think so he that. wasn't paid then for the sandbags? No, no, he wasn't paid. That was a donation from the, were the people of Formby just going down and filling well, bags? Well, no, no. The, I think it was Liverpool Council that uh, organised it. So they just came up and, and, uh, and, and dug out a load of sand to fill the sandbags. But they, they, they didn't uh, pay Jonathan Formby for it. And he was very upset, <laughs> apparently. And another thing which um, which we found, if, we, if you go back a bit further into the 1920s, uh, Mr Formby found that he, he had a lot of death duties to pay. Uh, and so he funded this by selling sand from the June seaward of St Luke's Church. And um, uh, there, were, there were two large sand hills there um, called Shorrocks Hill and Beacon Hill. And Shorrocks Hill, of course, is a name that you now find associated with a housing estate down uh, uh, towards the dunes. Um, and those two sandhills were completely removed. They, they disappeared entirely. They were big named sandhills, so they must have been quite substantial features. Uh, but they no longer exist. And how much money would he have got? Enough? From well, again, his... the sixpence a ton. So uh, he's got his enough to pay his stamp, his taxes, enough to pay his death duties, yeah. and keep hold of the house, presumably. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and th and then if you go down Lifeboat Road, on one side there's a caravan site, of course, and the other side there's a big car park, and again going back to the nineteen twenties and thirties, there were two enormous quarries on either side of Lifeboat Road, where those two things are now, where the car park and the caravan site are now. Uh, you can still see the, the, the remains of the edge of one of those quarries um, immediately to the west of the pine woods, uh, just north of Lifeboat Road. There's a, there's a slope down. Uh, it's, it's sort of hidden, half hidden under, under woodland now. But you can still see the slope, and back if you go back to the sixties, I remember it as a, a sort of bare, sandy cliff, uh, which is, as I say, modified over the years. But that was the remains of the big sand quarry to the north of uh, of uh, Lifeboat Road. Now, the other thing, of course, that's relevant here is that uh, at Formby Point, particularly. The, uh, the coast had been eroding for many decades. In fact, it started eroding in 1906. That's uh, marine erosion, you know, the sea cutting back the dunes. So they knew that the coast was eroding, and yet they were still taking out these huge quantities of sand from uh, immediately in, inland of an eroding coast. And eventually, um, the Formby Urban District Council, as it then was, started to get concerned about this and realising that the, the dunes were a crucial defence against the sea. Uh, it, it, again, we found in our research that uh, there was a letter published in the Formby Times in August 1951 by a chap called Charles Rathbone, who lived at Sandhill Cottage. Uh, Sandhill Cottage is still there, actually. Um, 
uh, he condemned what he described as the organised destruction of the Formby Sandhills. Uh, and he, he pointed out the problem with some of these quarries were that they were being used for tipping purposes after they'd taken the sand out. And he described a, a danger to children of, I quote, holes open and unguarded as the area filled up with a revolting mixture of cinders, cotton waste and decaying matter. <laughs> so it must have been a right mess. <laughs> Lots of fly tipping, I suppose, and you know anything that they could get somebody to pay to fill up the holes. That money was going to the Formby family as well then? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. So that's it. So the holes that they're taking all of this sand away, they're filling with just rubble. Yeah, and yeah, they're, they're obviously backfilling it to with anything that they could get hold of, you know, including all sorts of waste materials. Uh, very unpleasant, and and in fact, the the uh, because of these various complaints that were being made, in in nineteen fifty one, which was the year that that guy sent his letter in, um, Formby councillors actually went down to inspect the sand quarries. I don't suppose many of them had ever been on the sand dunes before, you know, but uh, they had a special visit to, to have a look at what was going on. Uh, and they were obviously quite concerned and began to insist on controls under the planning laws, which had been enacted in 1947, just before that. Um, even so, I mean, even though they, they tried to re regulate it through planning, uh, it was about, well, nearly 20 years before the last sand extraction ended at Formby Point in 1970. I actually saw that. I've got a photograph of it, in fact, the last sort of area that was uh, sand was taken out from. It was near what's now Wicks Lake. Um, and then, as well as the area around Lifeboat Road, a bit further south towards Cabin Hill, Again, there was a huge amount of sand taken out there. The Cabin Hill was a big sand dune, again, a named dune, the biggest on that part of the coast. And, it, and it's gone completely. I mean, it was all taken out. Taken out down to below the water table, actually. Uh, so, uh, and, and that sand was actually taken out on a light railway along what is now Hogs Hill Lane. Um, many many people won't remember that either. Um, that that was a you know a narrow gauge track that was built specially to take the sand out. So it it must have been used for probably ten years or more. Um, and the the consequence of that uh, was that the dune barrier was really weakened in that point at that point. Um, and the then Mersey and Weaver River Authority who were in charge of coastal protection, decided that, that there was such a risk of the sea breaking through the dunes at that point that they uh, decided to construct a secondary barrier uh, to the sea coming in. It's called a, a barrier bank. Uh, and it was built um, at Cabin Hill. It's about 780 metres long, nearly half a mile long. Uh, you can still see it, it's still there. Uh, runs across what is now the Cabin Hill National Nature Reserve. Uh, and that cost, it was done, the work was done in 1970-71, and it cost the taxpayers £23,000, which was a big sum of money in those days. It would be ten times that now. So, you know, a quarter of a million. 
And did it? Was it ever needed? It hasn't been needed so far, but they they worked out that uh, if the sea broke through, that would keep it back from flooding the uh, the Alt floodplain, which you know goes back a long way. I mean, there's a lot of land behind uh, the dunes at Formby that is at or below sea level, uh, so that would have been you know very susceptible to the sea breaking through. Since then, actually, the, the dunes have built up a bit at, um, at Cabin Hill, so it's not as urgent a, a problem as it, as it then was. How old would the sand dunes have been, yeah. Cabin Hill, uh, Shorrocks Hill? Yeah. How old would they have been when they were taken away? We, we don't know exactly when those dunes were formed. Uh, the estimate is probably around the 17th to 18th centuries. So not that long ago, only two or three hundred years ago, well, three or four hundred years ago, shall we say. Um, but there were dunes in the area long before that. They, they just got blown away or washed away from time to time. The sea broke through and then retreated again. There uh, have been at least ten uh, of these sort of marine incursions, as they're called, since the end of the Ice Age that we know about, possibly more than that. And so with gro- global warming, so with ah yes, now then. <laughs> so with global the moment, warning, you could you uh, could get more with the, the rising sea indeed, level. Indeed, the sea the sea level is rising at three millimeters a year at the moment, which is not inconsiderable. And so, how does that affect Formby? How many? Of course. So how many millimeters? If three millimeters a year, when will it start coming into Formby? Well, fortunately, Formby is raised up. I mean, it's it's actually built on sand which was laid down hundreds of years ago. And we are a good deal higher in, in the form in Formby itself than the, the uh, immediate hinterland. As I say, the agricultural land behind Formby is close to sea level. Uh, so that's, that, that will be the first to go when the sea breaks through. Formby will be an island. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it could be quite tricky to get your... Uh, to get transport in and out but uh, yeah it sort of form will survive for a lot longer so the water would come in and then go over the moss and yeah. over that area yeah and don't fancy your chances in southport either oh really <laughs> southport's not too bad again it's built on sand but it's not as high as south as formby so with Formby then, so that because that's where the Vikings all came then. So yeah. we're going to be okay for how long then? So for the immediate hundred years, we're yeah, going to be okay. Ne- next hundred years, we should be okay. So I, I was going to sum this up really, uh, saying that over a period of really more than sixty years, sand winning all along the coast took place. I, I haven't mentioned High Town actually, where a huge amount of sand went from High Town as well, uh, all the way through from High Town to Birkdale sand extraction and it really altered the landscape very considerably I've, I've mentioned the fact that some of the big sand dunes were completely destroyed so you lost a lot of the natural undulating topography um, and it was leveled in, in places often down to the water table um, and, and even where coastal erosion was taking place as I mentioned uh, at Formby Point the sand was still being extracted there until uh, 1970 so it, it would have weakened the the coastal defenses and yet you might well think that that was a, a really extraordinarily 
damaging activity, uh, and, and so it was. But the, the mineral was very highly valued. And of course, until relatively recently, this was all done on private land. Uh, so the landowners uh, took precedence. What they wanted to do with their resources was their affair. Um, uh, and commercial interests, if you like, trumped environmental concerns. Um, still happening today in many places, I would suggest. The sand winning was a lot of jobs in Formby, wasn't it, for a no, lot of people? No, it wasn't. No. Was it not? No, no. There was um, one major company, Rainfords, who uh, did most of the, uh, the, com- the... They were contracted to do most of it, I think. And then the Southport Sand Company did the top end, you know, the northern end. Um, they were quite small enterprises, really. Probably, you know, maybe half a dozen people at most. But we're talking about a time when there wasn't very many people living here anyway. No, no, that's true. Yeah. So, sort of half a dozen would have been, would have affected quite a few, quite a few families. Possibly, yes. Yeah. Absolutely superb. Have we covered everything? I think so. Well, I've got you know that that were those were my main notes. I mean, I, I wrote a good deal more than that in my book. Uh, this one, Sons of Time Revisited. So it's it's all summarised in there. That's all about sand winning. There's a chapter in there about it, yeah. Um, And then I've got this big report, which uh, was produced in 2008. I've got it on the computer, but it it runs to dozens of pages, you know. So. And is that sort of that's all facts and figures and? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. some of I mean, there's a three. I think three major sections. One was done by me on the sort of the, the. the natural history side of it and that, the environmental impact of it from what we could uh, glean at this you know from uh, because it was so long ago mm. but um, uh, two two reports looked at the history of it as well in some detail um, there was a guy called Crosby who is a, is a historian and he he delved into all the archival material there wasn't a lot um, he found that a lot of the, the relevant stuff had been destroyed. Uh, I think it was after the Second World War. Uh, a lot of papers either were lost in a fire or something like that. So is that where the out. stuff, where the actual sand was going? So it, was this... it was mostly just the history of where it was and who did it and, and why. Um, and, yeah, what it was used for and that sort of thing. So a lot of, we've still got, most of the relevant stuff, you know, it's it's fairly detailed, but you couldn't trace a lot of the pages as you wanted to find. Yeah, I can send you that if you're interested. The copy, a copy of it. So where would you get a copy of it if you wanted a copy of the? Is it a government? Sefton. <laughs> Sefton. Sefton it, 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 it might be online, um, but it, it might be difficult to trace it. You know. Um, and that's the complete sort of all of the report about the sand winning yeah, and the yeah yeah the 2008 report it's it's a big chunky document yeah so there, there, there was a lot more activity in terms of interest in the in the coast the resources the recreational side of things a lot was going on at that time uh, before um, austerity kicked in of course in 2010 so really, you're looking at from the 1990s to the early 2000s, there were all sorts of um, useful things going on. 
a lot of it EU funded, it has to be said. Don't you just love an expert? Someone who knows exactly what's going on. Thanks to Dr. Phil Smith. This is Formby Podcast 2022. See you next time.